This is Valley Views, our weekly conversation with influential and interesting folks from around the Wet Mountain Valley. This morning we're visiting with Mark Paler, Superintendent of Custer County School District C1. Mark, thanks for joining us this morning. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you for asking. I've got, uh, I've got a lot of interest in the school, and I know folks out there do, so let's get right to it. Uh, I know you're fairly new in the Valley here. How does the Custer County School stack up with other school districts? I know you've been involved. Is is it unique or is it uh, sort of similar to the others? I think it's actually a combination of both. It's unique in terms of how the community really comes together to support its students and its schools. And I you don't often see that a lot of times in my past. Um, it's been manifested itself in terms of like booster clubs and a lot of times when we see parent support it's around activities but here I see a really strong sense of community when it comes to not only parents getting involved but folks that are retired that live here in the valley that really want to help out and ensure the viability of our schools they become volunteers they come into our classrooms Daily, I walk through the building, and I see those volunteers working with those children to make sure that they're successful. You don't see that in a lot of places. And so my hat goes off to the folks in the Valley here for putting together programs to make that work. But we do have our challenges as well, and they're pretty much, uh, while we're unique, our challenges are similar to those across the state in terms of what does contemporary education look like today? How do we address the needs in an ever-changing world at a time that we have diminishing resources. I remember talking to your predecessor, Chris Selly, and he always seemed frustrated with the, the state's ongoing challenges in terms of adequate funding. Do you, do you see the same? So I've been in this role in Colorado as a superintendent for the past 15 years, and that message and that tune has never changed. <laughs> and so I would say in 15 years, if we could ever solve the funding dilemma, It'd be a great thing, but I don't see it on the horizon, and that's for a multitude of reasons. I think the state's hands are tied in terms of how funding takes place and how it gets capped. Um, If you look on a national level, Colorado is way down towards that bottom in per-pupil expenditures. And so I don't see that changing in the near future at all. It's going to take a lot of people to say, you know what, we do need an educated workforce in this state to come together to really look at that funding model. But in, in in the near term, I don't see that changing. It's going to take the people, not the superintendents, not the administrators, not the school boards, but for people to finally say, we want nothing but the best for our kids. And to get to the best, we are willing to invest these dollars to ensure that that happens. Good point. Uh, so what excites you most about the school? As you as you come into Custer County and, and see the differences and some of the similarities, uh, what excites you? I think what excites me is just, again, going back to that sense of community. It's a very strong community. I know in the past I've heard from folks saying, you know what, people just aren't involved like they've been in the past. I think involvement looks very differently to different people. Some people get involved on a daily basis, and they have the time to do that, whereas others, they just can do it periodically. So we welcome all avenues of involvement. So what excites me is just this whole sense of community. I think we have great kids up here. I think uh, our kids I would put against any students anywhere because what I've seen is a real strong commitment towards learning. And you don't see that a lot of places. Some areas, it's not about learning. It's about socialization. It's about just making those connections with my peers during the day. 
and continuing that conversation at night on Facebook. Here I really see a commitment towards academics and kids really having this thirst to learn. What excites me is to walk through the elementary school and to see those young kids just learning to read and making those connections. Uh, I've been invited this year to read more in our elementary schools, and it's exciting to not only go in and read, but to watch those faces. Same thing is true at the other end of the spectrum, to see our students at the high school level leave with the knowledge and skills that they, they'll take with them to be successful is also equally exciting to me. Just thinking about science, I looked at some scores yesterday. Our science scores at the high school level, I've never seen in my career, they far exceed the state. And to have science, which if you think about it, that's a culmination of literacy and numeracy, as well as that whole science theory going in there. To see those kinds of scores is really exciting because that says to me that education is taking place at Custer County High School and throughout our system. You mentioned the uh, community support. Uh, I'm, I'm plugged into a few things, uh, Excellence in Ed, Adopt-A-Class, the mentoring programs. So there, there's some pretty, I don't know if I'd call them formal, but uh, you know, community members have stepped forward and, uh, to work with the school. Uh, how, how important are all of those sorts of programs? Oh, you know what? They're extremely important because anytime we can, anytime we can have adults in our classrooms, they can help in so many different ways. Just by being present in the classroom is a form of mentoring. I think especially with our young male students that may come from a one-family-member-type one situation, a single mom, let's say, they thirst for that male role model. So to see those males and they're helping is huge. Likewise, on the other end, to have those moms in there helping out also helps uh, build self-esteem with our students. And so I think it takes many different uh, dimensions, um, but but it's more than just in our schools. Right now, we've embarked on a program to convert uh, an old preschool building into um, apartments for teachers, and our building trades class is involved in that. But I can also say I have been over there several times, and we have members from our community pitching in to help those students. We're doing demo work right now, and I see those members in there daily helping our students, ensuring that they're safe, but also working constructively on a project that will add value to our schools as we try to attract um, talent, teachers, to our classrooms. I saw Mike Liebman the other day, and he mentioned that he was over there helping out with that, uh, with that project. And that, that sounds like a great opportunity for uh, not only the community, but the, but the students to, to, to be involved with those sorts of projects. Yeah, I think in the past we've had a strong focus for the past decade on academics. And that's not to say that academics isn't important, but I think we've done it to the detriment of our vocational programs. And so I'm seeing that cycle turn back where it's about vocational, so building trades, ag industry kind of related jobs, welding, for example. Um, we're starting to see that, that pendulum swing back and, uh, and address more of those vocational kinds of opportunities. And I welcome that because we want to ensure that all of our students are college ready, but some of our students may elect to go directly into the workforce, and we've got to make a commitment to ensure that those students have those skills. Right now, if you were going to front range, construction is just going through the roof. But what's missing and lacking are the trades, plumbing, electrical, those kinds of specialties. Those are very viable careers for students, and we need to ensure that they have those skills that if they choose to go that direction, we've, hel we've helped them 
meet their dreams. And I know one of the uh, the student project houses uh, was, it was was just completed in our our neighborhood. So I, that's that that program's spreading out. Uh, let me ask. Uh, there's a continuing trend, I think, in the school, if I understand it correctly, of declining enrollment. Is that is that true? And what what uh, how does that affect things? How does that uh, keep you up at night? Oh, that really keeps me up at night. We are just completing our October count. In fact, the official count date was just this week, and it appears as though, and this is unofficial at this point, but we're down maybe 20 students from the prior year. So how does that impact us? It impacts our funding. Our funding from the state is all based on um, on a per-pupil kind of basis. There's a baseline that we get, and then for some subgroups, such as at-risk students, because of socioeconomic, for example, we might get a little bit more for that student. But the key is around October count. So what we've seen when you track this back a number of years is it has been on a downward slide. Now, if we were to subtract those 20 students off in one year, it would be devastational for this district. However, the state allows you to average over years. The problem is we're rolling off some very high averages off of that funding uh, level, and so it is being reduced down. So even though the state may increase on a per-pupil basis some funding, when you're in a declining type of situation, then you're receiving less resources, and that's very true here. In fact, it's true this year. We had actually budgeted this year to be stable compared to the previous year, and we based that on some data that we had this spring. However, it appears that that did not bear out. So again, it comes back to funding as the as the key as the key issue that uh, that you really worry about. You know what? It is funding that drives everything from teacher salaries to textbooks and materials, as well as just the uh, infrastructure, our actual buildings. So, yeah, funding is key, and we've got to keep addressing this. What we also need to do is plug those holes. Where do we see those leaks in terms of expenditures, and how can we plug that? We just need to be more efficient. We need to run this as a business, and it's the business of education, which is the best business of all. So let me ask about your sort of your daily routine. Uh, as I said up front, I can think of no job in the valley where someone has more stakeholders. You have the you have the students, you have the staff, you have the teachers, you have the board, you have the community, you have uh, the the uh, educational hierarchy at the regional, state, and national level. Uh, my guess is you come in with a to-do list carefully crafted the night before with 20 items on it, and at the end of the day, you probably walk out with those same 20, or there's four more things added to that list. Uh, how, do, how do you balance the immediate with the, those long-term important type things? Well, and that, you're right. There are more stakeholders than ever, and, and they appear to coming from the top, from the state more than anything else. Actually, it drifts down to the Fed level. You wouldn't believe... We're going into some reporting that we need to do for the federal government at the local level and how time-intensive that is. So how do I balance all this? I actually start at 4 a.m. in the morning. I get up in the morning and I think about, actually before I go to bed the night before, I start a list about the next day and what does that look like. I'll check my calendar before I go to bed just to make sure I know what's going to happen that next day and try to adhere to that calendar the best that I can. But I get up at 4 o'clock in the morning. And I actually start to work. I review the news. I actually get fed to me every morning um, news from CDE and some other educational publications. 
in the state of Colorado. So I'll review that to sort of bring me up to speed on here's what's going on in the state. Here are some of those issues. And then I try to arrive between 6 and 7 o'clock every morning, and that's when I pound out those routine things that need to get done, communiques to the staff, answering emails, which are hundreds on any given day, and starting through just the the minutia of my job and those expectations about communications. And then a day begins. But what I've come to learn in this job is you need to be flexible. You never know what problem needs to be solved as it walks in the door. And that's what I love about this is no day is the same. But again, at the end of the day, I leave exhausted having worked through that day. It might be problem solving. It might be trying to get into classrooms to observe. It might be going to regional kinds of meetings. We're a member of a BOCES, which addresses our exceptional student population. And so every day is different. Um, and that's exactly what I love about this job. There's a lot of on-your-feet problem-solving. I really rely upon the other folks within the organization, the principals, the teachers, the staff. At the end of the day, it's about a team, and we support each other, and uh, we make sure that we get through that day the, not only the best that we can, but we're doing the best that we can for each and every student. That sounds like quite the routine. <laughs> so let me ask you, uh, we, we've taken a lot of your time, and uh, you have bigger fish to fry than this interview today. I know this is a school day, and uh, you need to get over there, but if someone out there in Radioland is interested in uh, volunteering at the school and they're not yet involved, uh, uh, do, you have, do you have room for more people? Are there specific skills, specific needs that, that you have? You know, uh, we, we hope that folks do approach us. We're very much about open classrooms and having volunteers, but there is a structure to that. A lot of people don't realize. They just think they can walk in and go into the classrooms and start to assist. They need to visit with Carol Franta, who does organize our volunteers. If you're interested, you do have to get fingerprinted, for example. There are forms that we need to send off to the state for all the right reasons. We want to make sure that our classrooms are always safe all the time. That includes who's going into those classrooms. So we're looking for volunteers to help out and assist that way. But again, if you'd like to help out, for example, if you have an interest in construction trades, as we go through this two-year remodeling project on the teacher housing, we invite you to come help. It's very much like a Habitat for Humanity kind of model where people come in and we, we look for that kind of assistance. Obviously, if you have a specialty in a trade area, such as electrical or plumbing, we're in the process of releasing an RFP in the next day or two. Because we want people in the Valley that have those trades to have an opportunity to work on this project, uh, especially as we get into the lesser construction time season as we're entering and approaching into the winter. We feel like we can fill some of that void. So stay tuned. Look for a letter in the mail. Um, but for volunteers, we welcome that. Athletics, we're always looking for people to help out at athletic events as well as in our classrooms. So we welcome one and all. Uh, please come visit with us. Well, thanks for coming by. We've been visiting with Mark Paler, superintendent of Custer County School District C1. Mark, come back and see us uh, down the road when uh, and we'll, we'll catch up on whatever is new. I would love to do that. You know, in fact, some topics we didn't talk about today. Uh, we need to talk about the condition of our buildings. Uh, we just addressed some pipe issues in terms of sewage pluggage. So every day is a different day, and uh, <laughs> I've got a lot more topics I'd be more than happy to visit about. So thank you so much for having me here. Well, great. And we'll, we'll do that. I know that uh, you've participated in our uh, Spirit of the Valley photography uh, uh, exhibit that uh, graces the walls. Uh, that's a project that Paul Leach 
has uh, has put together. So thanks for being part of the radio station. And, and I look forward to having you back. I know from a previous conversation that you and I are fellow Buckeyes. Uh, you grew up in Cincinnati. I attended graduate school at the University of Cincinnati. We could spend a whole time talking about Grater's uh, ice cream and Skyline Chili, perhaps. And we could, and I would welcome that. In fact, I think we need to include samples when we have that conversation. Most excellent. Mark Paler, thanks for joining us. Thank you. You've been listening to Valley Views on KLZR 91.7 FM. Valley Views airs Tuesdays and Thursdays at 7 a.m. and 4 p.m. and again on Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Send your ideas and comments to comments at klzr.org. Valley Views is produced by the volunteers of KLZR 91.7 FM.